I've been looking forward to preaching today from Galatians chapter 2. It's a tremendous passage of Scripture, and it is part of our Why Church series. Next week, we will conclude this series by going to Revelation chapter 5 and visiting that great worship service in heaven that John the Revelator saw when he was called up hither and seen things that have been, are now, and would be. So that's where we'll be next week. Two weeks from today, we're going to start the exposition of Ephesians. It's a great little letter, six chapters. We're going to divide it in half. Amazing grace and messy grace. We'll take amazing grace through the rest of the summer and then messy grace this fall. All right, so we'll divide it between chapters one through three and four through six. I hope that you'll be Uh, intentional in being part of that look at the book of Ephesians. Someone said, I'm already reading that book. That'd be great. Go ahead and read ahead and begin to uh, immerse yourself in the text of this great exposition of the purpose and plan of God for us. Now in Galatians chapter 2, I thought about just reading a part of it, but I'm going to read the whole thing. We've been singing about the love of God. Oh, how I love Jesus. There's a verse in here about love that is one of my favorites. I hope you'll pay attention and be able to identify it when I get to the end of this reading of the text. I'm going to start with verse 1 and go through Galatians chapter 2. This is Paul the Apostle writing. He says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and Meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, this is Peter's visit to Antioch, of which we know very little. When he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. 
The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish commands? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I just love that verse. That's where it's found, those of you who've been quoting it, okay? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is part of of that great historical moment we visited last week in Acts chapter 15. This discussion about did people have to be Jews in order to be real Christians? That's what the discussion is about. Now I'm going to say something today that is not politically correct, all right? But I'm going to say it anyway. I have the freedom of speech. And we have freedom of worship. And we want people to be free to express themselves in this country. It is a treasured freedom of ours. So those protesters in Seattle, they have the right to say what they're saying. And the folks who are opposing them have the right to say what they're saying. Okay? So it's good. It's good. And there is no religious test for office. So when I say this thing that's politically incorrect, it does not disqualify me from running for office in this country, all right? Freedom of religion is real freedom of religion. I can believe as my conscience dictates, all right? It is the fundamental freedom, the freedom of conscience. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So, even though there's been a... uh, Skirmish in words about what I'm going to say, I'm still going to say it. Jesus is the only way to the Father. All right? Now, that's just... I'm just quoting Jesus when I say that. You know that, right? It's John 14, 6. We're just quoting Jesus when we say Jesus is the only way to the Father. I believe this passionately... I believe this deeply. Uh, I believe with all my heart it is 
the statement around which I organize my life and secure my eternal future, Jesus is the only way to the Father. If I'm wrong about this, I'm wrong about a bunch. But it's what I believe, and the Constitution protects me in this belief. I have the freedom to believe Jesus is the only way to the Father. I have the freedom to say it. Now, Peter believes Jesus is the only way to the Father. And so does Paul. But something happens in this text that threatens that very simple statement, Jesus is the only way to the Father. Peter acts in a way that belies what he just said. What he teaches and believes. Here's my my first suggestion from this chapter. Don't tell white lies about salvation. It's too important. It's eternally important that people understand how to be saved. God's plan and purpose for them laid out from the foundation of the world outlined in this book, the Bible. Don't tell white lies about salvation. There's an article this week that was published that says that compassionate people are more likely to lie than other people. Consider yourself a compassionate person? Well, these white lies... The author says they are social grease so that we live together in harmony and without conflict. And we tell them because we don't want confrontation. Do you like confrontation? I don't like confrontation. I don't invite confrontation, all right? And there are some things about which you can say, oh yeah, honey, that looks great even though that may not be how you feel. But you're just, it's not that important, you know. Do you like um, gala apples? Do you like uh, your French cut beans? I mean, some things don't matter that much, right? My father's big word toward the end of his life was, whatever, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) He got tired of too many opinions, so it was okay. And we do tell Things that are just social grease, we're just getting along, no need to confront, not the time to do so, not wise to do so, and we just say things and we're just getting along. But there are some times when we just can't do that. And to tell a lie about salvation is not to tell a white lie. It's to tell a lie that Paul challenges here that threatens the very basis of the gospel. When somebody says, we're all going to the same place, we just have different paths. I know people say that all the time. It's just not true. It's not true. The author of the little article said, There are several reasons for not telling a lie, and the last two caught my eye. She said, if you want someone to change, then don't lie. So, 
when you get in that situation and somebody says, we're all going to the same place, we just have different paths, you know, whatever you believe is good as long as you believe it. It's a moment for you to say, well, you know, that's just not how I see it. It's not what I believe. I believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Don't tell white lies about that. Don't acknowledge that or put that out there. If you want someone to trust Jesus as Savior, why would you let that go? You'd want to challenge that, wouldn't you? And say, well, I believe God has a plan and a purpose, and, and we must you know, receive his plan. We can't get there ourselves. We can't make it up. God has a way, and Jesus is that way. You have the perfect right to say that. Now, is it politically correct? No, will it get you in trouble? Maybe. Will it start a discussion? Yes, it might. You might have to defend yourself. Don't tell white lies about salvation. If you want somebody to change and really know Jesus. And the second thing the author said was follow the golden rule. Jesus taught us the golden rule. Remember what it is? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I want people actually to tell me if my clothes don't match. All right? Don't lie to me about that. I was at the 70th, 70th anniversary celebration for the Canos. Are they here? Where are they? There they are. Barbara and David married 70 years. Have you ever known anybody like that? Married 70 years. And uh, Diane, who does not lie, I don't know if Diane is here or not, but Diane said, you've got something on the back of your shirt. And she worked on me. People around me have a responsibility to let me know if I'm a mess. So I don't want them to lie about that, okay? Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. If they're talking, do I look all, and you, you'd say, you know, I really want somebody to tell me if this doesn't work in well then, don't you want somebody to be honest when it's about your heart, what really matters, and your eternal future? Don't you want honesty there? What do you really believe about going to heaven and being saved? If you really believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father, don't tell white lies. Those lies aren't really white. And what Peter is doing here is belying the gospel. And so even though it's tough, the apostle Paul confronts him. He confronts him face to face. He says he opposes him to his face because he stood condemned. Even though it was Peter. That's what Paul did. Don't tell white lies and don't give in to peer pressure about the gospel. Paul says here, we did not give in to them even for a moment. You see the cascading effect of peer pressure in his discussion of this historical event. The brothers come from Jerusalem. 
they are brothers. At one point, they're called believers. Here, the Apostle Paul calls them false believers, sent to spy out our freedom in Christ and to make us slaves. Slaves to what? Slaves to the Jewish law. Slaves to the law. They want to enslave them in, in slavery again through the law. That's what he's talking about here. And so these fellows from Jerusalem come, and they don't believe these Gentiles in Antioch are real Christians until they are Jews, until the men have been circumcised and everybody is required to keep the law of Moses. Then they can be real Christians, and that's what they're saying. Peter has been eating with the Gentiles, these Antiochian Christians. He's been having crawfish, etouffee, I don't know what all, but it's not according to the Jewish dietary laws. That's why Paul says, you've been living like a Gentile, and Peter knows he has. And these folks show up from Jerusalem, and Peter now is in a bind because these fellows from Jerusalem, they don't believe you should be sitting down with Gentiles eating crawfish. <laughs> you should not do that. It's against the Jewish law. And Peter, under pressure from these men from Jerusalem, leaves the table of the Antiochian Christians who are Gentiles. And he stops eating with them. He withdraws. As Peter withdraws, some of the other brothers withdraw with him until even a good man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, Barnabas, is persuaded and joins them in what Paul calls their hypocrisy. They have all now pulled away from the Gentile believers in Antioch. Under the peer pressure of these brothers from Jerusalem. They denied this truth, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Not circumcision, not the Mosaic law. Jesus is the only way to the Father. But Peter's behavior and even Barnabas's behavior and this group pulling away from the table, they are denying that fact. Now, you're going to fight peer pressure if you say Jesus is the only way to the Father. There are going to be folks that want you to join in their opinion. I mean, it is politically correct to suppose that everybody is going to the same place just by different roads. That's, that would be sort of the general wisdom and the thing that's widely accepted out there. And when the pressure comes on you to join in, you just remember, don't give in to remember what Paul did here and confronted those believers who were pulling away. This was a very important moment because the church of Jesus Christ was assembled on one simple thing. If you trusted Jesus as Savior, you're part of the family of faith. It doesn't matter what else where you're from, what color you are, what language you speak, what nationality. If you part, trusted Jesus as Savior, you're part of the family of faith. Jesus set 
loose on planet Earth, this wonderful body, this movement where everybody had equal standing before God, trusting Jesus as Savior, didn't matter what else they were. They could come together as a family and sit together at the table of the Lord. And that is being challenged now as they draw back not only from the table where they ate together in the common meal, but also from the bread in the cup. Now Peter is leaving before they have their communion together. And these other Jews are leaving before they serve communion because they don't want to be there eating with the Gentile believers. See, there's another criteria being introduced for being part of the church, the real church at Antioch. Not only do you have to trust in Jesus, but you got to be a Jew. You have to keep these dietary laws. You got to eat the right stuff, and you got to worship on the Sabbath, and you got to keep all these feast days. And if you don't do that, you're not a real Christian. And the tendency has been through all these years to add to the message of the gospel so that people, yes, they had to believe in Jesus, but my goodness, they also have to, you know, keep the law. I mean, they can't just be doing whatever they want, and they, they really need to look more like us. That's how the Jews were approaching it. These Jewish Christians, if they were Christians, maybe they were false believers, as the Apostle Paul calls them here, not really believers. Maybe they had evil intentions. They wanted to undermine the church of Jesus Christ. As they pulled back, they were saying it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. I love the church of Jesus Christ. I love it. I love the fact that we gather in the body of believers and there's one common thing. We share Christ together. We participate in the life of Christ together. We are believers in Jesus. And though we have other differences and things that are different in our history and maybe in our thinking, we come together as one body. And this is the loyalty which trumps all others in our life. This is the highest. This is the greatest. Jesus is Lord. And this is supremely true about us and in our churches. And the church has not always been faithful. I'm just telling you. In staying to this truth that Jesus is the only way to the Father and the message is you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus plus nothing. Plus nothing. You can't add anything to what Jesus did on the cross for you. You can't add anything to what Jesus did on the cross for you. You're going to check your seven boxes and add that to what Jesus did for you on the cross and say, that's part of my salvation? No. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works of righteousness. So don't tell white lies. Don't give in to peer pressure about the gospel. And don't act out of line with the gospel. Now, that's what Paul says about Peter here. He says they were acting out of line with the gospel. The gospel draws a line. And what you want to do as a believer is you want to live on that line. You want to live 
the gospel. It wasn't so much what Peter said. We don't even have Peter's words recorded here. We don't know exactly what it is. It's what he did. It's what he did. It's his actions, not his words, that were out of line with the gospel. He was acting out of line with the gospel. So the gospel draws this line, and the line is this. Jesus is the way to the Father Everybody who follows that line and believes in Jesus is your brother and sister, and we are one together in the body of Christ. This is how you live your life. So you act in line with this. You line up with this, and you do not introduce extraneous requirements to be part of the church of Jesus Christ or part of the group that, that trusts in him. You are all together because Jesus is Lord. Peter acted out of line. Your actions really matter. There will come a time in your life when your peer group's going to say, yeah, we really don't hang around her. Well, why don't you do that? Uh, we, we try not to invite her to anything. Uh, you know, she's too different. There's something different about her. And it could happen in a youth group. It could happen in a small group in the church of Jesus Christ where someone begins to be shunned not because they've denied the gospel, but because they're different. Culturally, they're different. Ethnically, they're different. And, and we tend to group with our own kind. We gravitate to our own kind. That's how we do it. And we need to implement the hard work of loving everybody in the body and making sure that everybody knows that the love of Christ extends to them and they are fully part of this family of faith no matter what color, nationality, or culture they come from. It's vitally important. And if we don't do that, if we exclude people from our small group or our fellowship group because of some cultural, racial, ethnic, language, nationality matter, we belie the gospel. We are acting out of line with the gospel. What I'm talking to you about right now is important work, it's vital work, it's hard work. You've got to remind yourself about it. It's not how you naturally live. By nature, we gravitate into layers. That's how we do it naturally. But God's doing something supernatural in the church of Jesus Christ. And so we must do the hard work of affirming those who believe in Jesus who are different from us. That's how you act in line with the gospel. If you find yourself in a matter, in a habit, in a practice that you see as out of line with the gospel, then if Jesus is Lord in you, you must change that way of speaking, that way of acting, that habit, that practice. It's got to go because Jesus is Lord and you must live in line with the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, it's simple good news. God loved you so much, he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. He was buried the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he saves all those who believe in him. That's the good news. And everything in my life must line up with the good news because that is a treasure. 
that has been entrusted to me. Yes, I am weak. I am imperfect. I am a clay vessel. But God has seen fit to pour into me this good news, this wonderful news of his love and salvation. And so I hold this wonderful treasure in this earthen vessel and seek to line up everything about me with the gospel so that the glory may all go to God. Not to me. I'm just dirt. I'm just clay. But God receives the glory because my life lines up with the gospel. Do not line up against the gospel. And do not set aside the grace of God. Do not set aside the grace of God. Grace is unearned. Everybody understands this, right? You can't earn grace. Grace is the unearned favor of God. If you had to work for grace, then it wouldn't be grace. It'd be wages. So you'd be getting paid for what you did, right? So when the word grace is used to describe how God relates to us, it's something that's different than wages. It's not what you earn by what you do. It's freely extended to you in Christ. Paul says here that I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died in vain. Christ died for nothing. People want to say, I know you got to believe in Jesus. But you've got to keep the Ten Commandments. You can't go to heaven unless you keep the Ten Commandments. And they suppose that if we believe that salvation is purely and fully and completely by the grace of God, then we're encouraging people to sin. And Paul says that here. Paul says here in this text, absolutely not. God is not multiplying sin with his grace no instead he is transforming us so that our behavior lines up with the gospel if you've been thinking to yourself you know when I get to heaven I think I think God's gonna let me in because I've really worked hard I want you to stop Mentally, recognize what you're doing. Recognize what you're doing. If you suppose that God's going to let you into heaven because of your good work, you're denying what Jesus did on the cross for you. You're setting aside the grace of God. It's so embedded in us to suppose that it is our good works that make us right with God. That we go through life and we hear messages like this and it never clicks. We just keep saying it, keep thinking it, keep living it. Oh yeah, I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to be let in because I've been doing good. I've really worked hard. I've tried to be a good father and a good citizen and all these things. I want you to catch yourself now. <laughs> next time you say it, next time you suppose it, it comes to mind. You're going to make heaven because you've really been a good person. I want you to catch yourself and say, wait a minute. If that's 
how I make heaven, if that's what I'm really trusting in, then what do I believe about the death of Jesus on the cross? Why did Jesus die? In my case, if I'm going to make heaven really because I've been a good person, then Jesus, you see, died for nothing and I have set aside the grace of God. Paul is not speaking in a vacuum as he says these things. He actually worked very hard as a young man coming up in the ranks of Judaism to obey the law and keep the law and be a Pharisee, in fact, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He wanted to do it better than anybody else, and people recognized how rigid he was in keeping the law and how passionate he was about it, and they promoted him even when he was young. And so he had this zeal that drove him, and when he believed that following Jesus was the wrong thing for Jews to do, he came at it like a shark and came down on him like a hammer, and he was going to the houses of fellow Jews, dragging them out of their houses and throwing them in prison and giving his consent to the murder of Stephen in the streets of Jerusalem. And in the middle of this kind of activity, Jesus stops him and says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his whole moral life just collapsed on top of him. And here he was thinking he was working to be this good person. And he was a murderer. He was a murderer. He persecuted Jesus and the church of Jesus Christ. And after Jesus stopped him in his tracks and said, why are you persecuting him? This man who thought he was keeping the law could only describe himself as the chief of sinners. Of sinners, Paul says, I am chief. If God could save me, God could save anybody. If you believe God's going to let you into heaven because of your good works, you are self-deluded. And you have not understood anything about the good news of Jesus Christ. You have missed the point. The point is that you, my friend, are a sinner. Paul says it here. Us Jews, we're not like those Gentile sinners. But we still believe, me and Peter, that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law. And you know what makes, what happens with that? The minute you say, okay, I believe Jesus saved me by dying on a cross for my sin and it was God's grace. The minute you say that, you are confessing that you are a sinner just like all those people you pointed your fingers at. Shame on them, shame on them, and all of a sudden you're going, shame on me. Shame on me. I'm a sinner too. Because if you were righteous, if you really were fit for heaven through your own works and your good condition, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die for you. You don't need the cross. You don't need Jesus. I mean, what's that? You already made it. You're that good person. You're not like those sinner Gentiles. No. No, you keep the law. Do you really? You don't ever have that sense in your brain that, you know what? I'm broken inside. I'm morally corrupt. That doesn't ever happen to you. 
you don't realize in the midst of your striving to be as good as you can be, that something is wrong with you. You can't contain those evil thoughts. Those words burst out of your mouth. And you make excuses, you know. Oh, that, that's not what you intended. But the truth of the matter is that you're a sinner, not just in the outside, but to the very core of who you are. And your effort to make yourself acceptable to God by your works is part of the evidence of how sick you are inside. How broken, how self-deluded you are. You think you can clean yourself with that list of commands. Like you take the mirror off the bathroom wall and you try to wash with it. The law was given as a mirror to help you see your sin and who you are and you can't wash with it. You can't make yourself clean with that mirror. It's there to help you see your need of grace, forgiveness, and righteousness in Christ and Him alone. When you think, I'm good enough, look at, look at me, I'm good enough, I'm taking that law and I'm trying to wash myself with the mirror. It won't work. Part of the brokenness is you hang on to it because you're proud and you're arrogant. And you want to be Lord of your universe. And it's all about you. It's not about Jesus. Because you're the good guy. And Jesus wants to set you free from the delusion that you're good enough. From that impossible task you have of actually keeping these laws that you say you keep. And you're not. And you know it. He wants, to, he wants to set you free from the self-delusion and the slavery of that so that you can enjoy a salvation by grace that he bought for you when he died on the cross. Why is he dying there? For your pride, for your arrogance, for your self-delusion, for your moral failure, for the lies you tell others and yourself for your sin, for the pain you spread and the pain you bear. Jesus died upon that cross to set you free. This is freedom and healing and transformation. And you can't get this any other place. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Bow with me, please. Holy Spirit, we, we need you now to help us see ourselves, to help us see Jesus, who he really is, what he really did. Lord, we pray that you will show us our inner condition, our true moral condition. Lord, that you will help us acknowledge who we are all the way down deep inside. God, that you might convict us of sin. 
Show us our need of a Savior and turn our face toward your Son, Jesus. God, I pray that someone in this room who has really, truly been trusting in their own good works will today find the liberation of grace through Christ. In his name we pray, amen.